Datadog is a SaaS cloud monitoring and security platform that enables full-stack observability for modern infrastructure and applications at any scale, providing teams dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, infrastructure monitoring, UX monitoring, security monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform, plus 450-plus out-of-the-box integrations with technologies including cloud providers, databases, and web servers. Aggregate all your data into one platform for seamless correlation, enabling teams to troubleshoot and collaborate together in one place, preventing downtime and enhancing performance and reliability. Get started with a free 14-day trial by visiting datadog.com slash cloudcast. That's datadog.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it is Aaron for Cloud News this week. We've got some interesting articles. We've got Slack and AI announcement. We've got a couple uh, more companies reporting earnings and some up and some down. So let's dig right into our first article. First of all, Slack announced uh, last week that... Slack is getting an AI chatbot. So this was announced uh, not too long after Salesforce announced their earnings. But uh, the idea behind it is AI chatbot built directly into Slack, and it will be able to do a couple both, what I'll use the term inbound and outbound things. It will be able to, if you have a bunch of messages, you just want a summary of them, go ahead and do that. Uh, if you want it to look at something that you're about to send out, maybe you could say, say things a little better, clean it up, it'll do that. As well as some AI generated responses for like folks in customer service, or if you're doing on, on the DevOps side, maybe automating incident management, or on the marketing side, helping out with campaign copy, for instance. So Interesting to see where this goes, and certainly we'll be watching it closely. I feel like uh, certainly some of the responses uh, have been very mixed with direct integration into apps, but uh, they say that this will roll out sometime in the next year or so. And now moving on to our second article. Uh, Actually, I'm going to kind of do rapid fire on these. It's really... Articles two, three, and four. So Datadog did earnings. Uh, They're Earnings were up um, $481 million, uh, so really impressive uh, quarter for them. And because of that, the uh, stock did pop by about 14% and about 33-ish percent year-over-year increase, by the way. Atlassian uh, not, didn't fare as well, um, so they were actually down. And the idea really behind that was, I mean, they did okay from an earnings perspective, but they went from being profitable, same quarter last year, to a net loss of $161 million. Um, a lot of it due to restructuring and write-downs from severance packages and things like that. They did do a headcount reduction of about 5%. So uh, hopefully they will come out of that a little bit cleaner on the other side. And lastly, JFrog. JFrog uh, did a really well. Um, and... Their shares jumped uh, because mainly they're growing their cloud business. Um, very thoughtful, very prescriptive in the way in which they're continuing to grow as a company. And because of that, um, a revenue growth of about 25% to almost 80 million ahead of a consensus. And so because of this, um, they're still operating at a net loss. 
And actually, you know, year over year, a little bit up, but not too significantly up. But it'll be interesting to see how they continue to grow as um, the competitors in this space and, and especially in DevOps and CICD platforms, you know, what really happens going forward. So with that, I'm going to wrap up Cloud News for this week. Coming up after the break, we have a longtime friend of the show, Jason Edelman. We haven't spoken to him in a couple of years, and it's really good to get his perspective uh, over the last, oh gosh, eight, nine, maybe 10 years or so. And that'll be coming up right after the break. Are you getting pressure from finance to justify or reduce your cloud bill? CloudZero is the only cloud cost platform loved by engineers and trusted by finance. CloudZero can identify unused, idle, or over-provisioned resources, alert you to spend anomalies, and organize 100% of your spend into a framework that mirrors your business structure, like cost per customer, product feature, or team. It's the most powerful platform ever built to provide accurate, granular visibility into your total cloud spend without the typical pitfalls of legacy cloud cost management tools like endless tagging or clunky Kubernetes support. Manage cost, optimize development, and maximize profit all in one platform. Join companies like Rapid7, Drift, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com slash cloudcast to get started. That's cloudzero.com slash cloudcast. Visit today to experience immediate and ongoing savings on your cloud bill. And we're back. And, you know, folks, a lot of times as we get to talking about uh, kind of all things cloud native and all, all sorts of the new stuff that we're talking about, you know, so much of what we we dive into is just kind of this general trend of as we're building newer applications, as we're dealing with stuff in the cloud, we're just dealing with things that, that tend to change and move and evolve more quickly than they ever did before. And while we dive into all sorts of interesting stuff about how do we develop stuff and what languages and frameworks, a lot of times we forget that, you know, in order to make all this work, at the end of the day, um, you've got to get the network right. You've got to be able to sort of match the speed and velocity at which you're building applications or deploying things with the speed and the ability of your your infrastructure team to be able to keep up with those things. And today we thought, well, that'd be a good topic for us to really dig into. And uh, no better person to help us do that than longtime friend of the show, uh, Jason Edelman, who is founder and CTO of Network to Code. Jason, it's been a long time since you've been on the podcast, man. Great to have you back. How you been? Same. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Brian. It's been uh, a long time coming, I guess. It's been almost 10 years and glad to be back. Yeah. Um, you know, we we first got to know you. We knew you uh, way back in sort of when everybody was was doing virtualization, um, you were somebody we had met through the community and you were doing a lot of, at the time, again, it's been, yeah, eight, nine, 10 years, uh, a lot of independent consulting work around um, Ansible at the time, you know, it was, it was really mm -hmm. early, but give us, give us a sense of, of your journey over the last, you know, five, six years. And then more importantly, you know, kind of where you've evolved network to code from what was kind of initial just sort of a side project to you to what's become a, a really robust business. Sure. No, that'd be great. Yeah. I'll try to give the, the, uh, the fast version over the past several years, but look, looking back at the dates of the shows that I was on in 2013 and 14, the, those were the years that were uh, it, really the, the root of really where I went in my career and what became sort of the, the nucleus or the root of, of network to code and you know, in that time frame, even on the show, I remember you know, talking about you know, this new Cisco released something called the 1PK. It was Cisco's first SDK of programming against a router or switch. And at the time, it was just I opened to see what, what could be done. And then I think around the same time, I had my first demo of sort of Ansible plus networking. 
And it was the aha moment of operational models are, are going to change. And then a few months later, I was on the show, you had June of 14, and then ended up starting the business in, in August of 14. So it was really the, uh, the, the days leading up to it. I kind of look at the last several years in, in, in three different phases for, for the business. And really, it kind of maps probably to industry maturity, too. Uh, the first one is sort of like network to code, you know, 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. Network to code 1.0, kind of look at it as a 2014 to 2017, um, you know, very much market exploration. You know, we were doing some early things in open source. Uh, some first customers were large vendors, manufacturers like a Cisco. We helped them build right, some of their first Ansible modules for networking, Cisco ACI, Nexus, uh, to name to name those. Looking back at it, like those those years really became like the first few years of net devops really that intersection of open source devops and networking yeah now it's more commonplace but like these were the first three or four years and in the first couple years of the business we were probably still shy of of 10 people right it, it was it was small right and but in, in january of 18 you know we brought on uh, john marquez our who our current ceo and this sort of takes us to like never to code 2.0 probably for about four, yeah, four years or so, 2018, 2021. And it was just a lot of expansion. I think for us, like, you know, we were always community driven, still are, but in those, in, in this sort of 2018 timeframe, what really changed was our confidence and, and really our approach to solving problems at a larger scale, right? We were, you know, we were helping clients with one-off network automation tasks, or even one-off training classes, right? Selling a three-day class, five-day class, doing some you know task-based automation and it really shifted to right instead of instead of being more tactical really looking at things more holistic and strategically to looking at you know six 12 24 months of of services to really help our clients solve uh, uh, outcomes and solve problems and and even looking at curriculums of training right instead of a three-day class five-day class you know how do we help uh, transform network engineers over the course of that 12 month time frame, which might include a few different classes, lunch and learns, uh, labs, homework assignments, really all all these uh, you know all these things like uh, like that. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. No. It's it's <clears throat> again. It's 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 incredible to see like how much you guys have grown. I, I think back to you know when I was doing networking stuff and and you know CCIE stuff back in the the 90s and all sorts of things, and I look at kind of what networking looks like these days. And it's, you know, it's a combination of probably, you know, a certain amount of Cisco and Juniper and kind of, you know, hardware-based stuff. You've got software-based things that are either, you know, SDNs or other types of tools. You've got networking that's in the cloud. You've got, and then you've got security and a million other things. Like, give us a sense, you know, as you go talk to, I don't know, a large bank or, you know, any, any sort of larger organization, like, what is the scope that those guys are dealing with for networking these days? Like how, what, what does the skill set look like? What's the, what's the scope that they're trying to wrap their head around? Yeah. You'd be surprised. I would say like even, even looking back over the last you know, 10 plus years, there's again, looking back 10 years ago, I thought it was going to change overnight and, and, you know, less, lesson learned. I'll always say being young and naive it, things take time, enterprise space, even mentioning a large financials, you know, things take so long to, to uh, you know, get, go from 
lab to production, like the amount of testing, the amount of different application owners, all, you know, all the different areas of the business to really get something new in. So I would say current current state, it's it's still network engineers, still largely focused on network engineering. I, I think there's been a tremendous, uh, tremendous maturity and evolving skill sets. And I always equate it back to DevOps, right? Looking back over, you know, what DevOps has done over the last you know, decade or more. And networking is still kind of ramping up in terms of that intersection point of NetDevOps. So overall skill sets uh, still evolving. You know, I think there's there's a maturity in, in controllers and tools. You mentioned SDN, right? You know, several years ago we were in the in the thick of it, right? You know, venture backed startups, right, launching by by the day. Now, you know, we kind of know the controller model, the SDN model, you know, it, it is the more common path forward these days. Right. In terms of just simplifying the overall management of networks, right? Instead of managing N nodes, you, know, you can manage manage a controller. So it's probably one of the more, you know, more common pervasive trends is, you know, as tech refreshes are happening in the networking space, yeah, by and large, there's a lot of those uh, controller platforms uh, being uh, being looked at. And so I do think it's helping, it's helping overall operation, but I would say even if we're focused in network automation, it's still about thinking about the, the root of a workflow, meaning what's what's causing somebody to log in and perform an operation. Because over the over the past decade, there's been a lot of talk around you know things like the death of the CLI and things like that. And the way we think about it is if you're in the CLI or even the UI, there's probably a different way or a better way to be doing things, right? In terms of understanding why somebody's logging into a device or controller and thinking about the larger workflow at hand and just bubble it up to to see what makes what makes sense is it a self-service portal right is it a GitOps workflow and really just try to marry it to the culture but skills yeah still evolving quite a bit i don't think we're anywhere near um, where we need to be as an industry for you know for the the mass the mass adoption of uh of net devops if you will yeah. You and I were talking not, not too, too long ago, maybe a couple of months ago, and you were kind of introducing me to this, this newer, uh, sort of concept, maybe not, it's not, not really a new concept in, in terms of it, right? We, we've always had various, um, sort of single sources of truth. You know, some people will call them, you know, CMDBs. We had them for applications and asset management, but, but there's kind of becoming this evolution of like a, a network source of truth. Give, give us a sense of like, what does that mean? Um, what what all is in that source of truth, and and you know how is it you know how is it figuring out you know how to give a, a much bigger picture for people of of what their networks look like and how to manage them and stuff. Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think you know based on you know somebody's uh, you know, journey in IT, there could be a different perspective of when you mention even uh, CMDB. But I would say, given the trends that we're seeing around uh, around network data. And, and really thinking about the concepts of the network of truth, it's, it's, it's about defining the intended state of the network and focus on data. And I'll go back to, you know, if you look at a system configuration or a network device, this guy said Juniper, again, a lot of engineers are still in the CLI at some point, and you're looking at CLI syntax and commands, but really separate the two in terms of syntax, uh, could be API calls and, and the, the data itself and the data Right. Ideally, should be uh, vendor neutral, right? It could be we think about data. Easy ones could be VLAN IDs, IP addresses, uh, BGP ASN, or all this data that is used to drive policy configuration. 
typically is stored today right on spreadsheets. Uh, you might have some CBDBs deployed, ServiceNow, Remedy, and so forth. But the general trend right now is to really get a hold, you know, get a hold of your data, of the network data, to be able to define it in a source of truth that could later drive automation. Yeah. Right. And so I look at it in terms of like the overall uh, probably steps to get there going from like zero automation to, you know, if I even use the phrase fully automated, typically it's a matter of, Hey, let's get rid of these, uh, rid of these spreadsheets. Let's get a, you know, let's, let's get a hold of our data. Um, you know, let's have a place to document the network of what it should be. And it could start with inventory. It can ramp up from there. It could be configuration data as an example. And then you get to the point where it's trusted and then it becomes really valuable to then use that data to, to actually drive automation, take it to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that, that you introduced me to was, uh, was a project, um, that, uh, that you're heavily involved with. And I know you guys have been, uh, kind of shepherding through an open source community called an Autobot. Um, talk a little bit about that. Where did it kind of, where did it get started? Um, how's it evolved? How are people, you know, how are people using it today? What's, you know, what, what is it, what all can it do? <laughs> yeah, the history here is probably just over two two years old. Uh, we launched an Autobot in February of 2021. Um, it was actually a fork of another open source project that we were working with back back then. Like anything else in open source, you know, if there's divergent uh, visions and strategies, uh, a fork is always is always an option. And we had a we had a hard fork another project, and and so an Autobot, you know, at its core is a source of truth. Right. And so the goal is to store the intended state of the network uh, inside an autobot. I give the analogy of almost like a smartphone sometimes in the sense that, you know, a phone, a phone um, you know, or a smartphone at its core, it's a phone, but you have these highly productive apps on top in your phone. And so, you know, back to an autobot is its core is a source of truth or a data store to store the intended state of, of the network. And, through the accessibility that we built into the platform, we now could build what we call Nautobot apps, old terminologies, Nautobot plugins on top of Nautobot to really use it as an overall automation platform itself. So you kind of get best of both worlds in the sense that, you know, we have users, you know, fairly large in nature that might opt to use Nautobot as a data store to drive network automation, right? They might deploy other tools to drive automation, and then you're going to essentially fetch data from Autobot, use its APIs, um, you know, build them the configurations, and then push them to uh, your device as an example. And that's primarily the source of truth use case. And even in that use case, there's integrations and things like that to be able to synchronize data from other data sources. So it's not about being the authoritative source for everything. If you already have a circuit database, if you already have inventory in ServiceNow, let's say, or yeah, Infoblox IPAM, there's ways to streamline the aggregation of data. Um, but the other use case I was mentioning around uh, the smartphone analogy is around, you know, we've really made it uh, streamlined to build apps on top of Nautobot within the platform. And I would say from like a UX uh, point of view, first is like if you were looking at the UI of Nautobot, apps and plugins allow users to really inject dropdowns, menu items, uh, build uh, build APIs, add data models to the data, you know, to the database, and you infect. Then the apps that you build could also drive automation. Right? So we have, I think, 
Right now, we probably have a couple dozen open source apps as well. Um, one of the more common ones is the compliance. Right? Again, all of these open source to get started with and can you know, take advantage of it uh, really as fast as you can kind of get it installed. And But customers, though, you know, they're or community users. You know, they're building apps for a variety of use cases, right, just to tailor tailor automation to meet their needs. I mean, even if they're adopting other tools to do automation, you know, by and large, I've always had the thought is you buy, you, know, you purchase a tool, there could be a gap in it. And how do you, how do you get around the gap? And again, open source extensibility really helps users, you know, kind of own, own their destiny and take control. And so apps can really do, you know, whatever, you know, whatever might be needed from data models only, APIs only, UI views only, or really building a full-fledged app like Config Compliance as just one example. Yeah, no, and it, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, it's, you know, as much as, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of the classic example of, you know, you'll go into a lot of environments and 80% of them will be similar, right? They're, they're following certain best practices and so forth, but it's always that other 20% or so that, uh, you know, allows the business to either, you know, do something really unique or, you know, match what they want to do. So yeah, the fact that, that, you know, not only is it open source that allows people to do kind of whatever they want, but the fact that it's built, uh, you know, as a platform is, is really, really important. What are, you know, what are some of the things that, uh, you know, when, when people come to you with problems that are, that are kind of immediately solved, you know, like what, what, how do I match the, the problems that people are having now with today's scale, complexity, you know, compliance and stuff? What are, what are some of those immediate things that, that an Autobot typically, uh, you know, kind of attaches itself, itself to? Yeah, it's what I was alluded to earlier. I think some of the more basic problems and even being on this podcast, I think, you know, you're usually talking about, right, cloud scale, cloud scale problems, and probably oftentimes, you know, being on you know, the cutting edge of a, lot, of a lot of things. So I would say in the networking space, problem number one is just inventory management, right? There's still so many tools from, you know, just network monitoring uh, events and uh, just you know, uh, vendor-based tools that just have a different source of inventory. So number one is really just getting control of inventory because it's so important, you know, when you kind of go down this path to automate, you know, the network, like you need to have the trusted source of data that's going to ultimately drive automation. I would say you know, hopefully it doesn't take so long to get to a point. You can eliminate some spreadsheets, uh, have a trusted data source. And, and from there, I would say common use cases no doubt. Number one, number one for us over the past you know, year or two, thinking about Nautobot, you know, was config appliance, right? Again, open source apps. You know, I would say like for us, we, we try to always keep in mind uh, net DevOps and DevOps principles and being sort of loosely coupled, um, work better together. And even that one app that I'll call out, it allows users to do things like backups from Nautobot. At the same time, if, if a user already has backups in a Git repo, Great. Point to the repo and we'll pull them in. Same sort of thing. Even uh, generate configurations. Right? A lot of you know, a lot of users already have things like Jinja templates, creating configs. If so, great. Use them and then just you know, just sort of point to the repo and pull in those configs. Then you layer in on top, right, in the UI to be able to build compliance per feature. Could be BGP. Could be interfaces. AAA MTP. All these things that that you know might seem overly basic, I would say the, the most common environment, the networking space, are still trying to solve these, these challenges. After that, you know, things like firewalls and load balancers, even tracking things like 
support contracts, uh, device lifecycle, all of these things are, um, you know, still problematic across the enterprise space and networking. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious cause it's, it's one of these topics that's sort of top of mind for folks. It, it feels like, uh, you know, we're starting to see some of these, these modern AI tools kind of build, uh, or have the ability to sort of build some code for people, you know, give people, you know, kind of best practices. Is, are you, as you're thinking about what it can do and the fact that it, it touches all these things, like, is there potentially an AI opportunity at some point to build some models that, that help people? Or is that sort of, you got to see where the AI stuff shakes out before you start thinking about where this falls in? Yeah, no doubt. You know, we're, uh, we're thinking about it. We're talking about it, trying to see what could be done. But I would say for us, when you, when you look at all this data, you know, that is in the enterprise today, and clearly you have a lot of focus on, on Autobot, being able to conversationally understand that data, it would be, it would be a tremendous, you know, value add for, you know, for the users, meaning looking at general trends, you know, the way I, I like to think about it is you might have dozens of dashboards, you're trying to trend certain data, look at growth rates. And I would say for us, you know, it would be, um, you know, I, w- I would say over the next several years, looking at the impact of AI, it would be, you know, can we make that a conversational interface? No different than we're all, we're all seeing, I'm sure, in our daily lives with with uh, you know, ChatGPT. Yeah. Uh, one last question before I let you go, because I know you're busy. Um, you know, as you guys engage with with companies, you know, we, we talked, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times sort of net DevOps, like mm-hmm. what's the what's the group, what's the organization that you, you're engaging with? I mean, is it, I mean, is there a net sort of DevOps team? Is it platform engineering? Is it, you know, sort of the network and infrastructure team? I'm curious, how, you know, who you guys typically engage with and then who ends up being the user of the platform and maybe like who they're, who they think of their customers are. What's the, what's the typical kind of structure and, and who's doing what? Yeah, it probably varies if we're looking at, you know, mid-market, mid-market enterprise, large enterprise and so forth. But, you know, by and large, uh, still largely within the networking organization for what we're what we're engaging with. Uh, the larger ones have have teams or a subset focused on network automation. And even within that group, it, the, the ones that are doing it right have teams that are focused on platform development or all the tools that the other teams can consume, meaning if it's operations or security or wireless, what have you, or whatever team, even cloud networking, um, as an example, it's just really trying to build out a platform that's holistic, that's really you know, team team one, uh, and then their stakeholders become the different uh, pillars or, or verticals right, within the networking organization. And again, you know, we've had we've had engagements where things go really well, and then they want to bring to the table other domains, right? Again, if it's more traditional security or even uh, compute or storage, I would say for us as a business, right, we're best known in the networking space. But typically, you know, if if we build a trust with uh, with a given client and they want to see what we can help with in other other parts of uh, of the business, but yeah, in any case, yeah, still very very much falling in that networking umbrella. And yeah, as things grow within the cloud space, there's some intersection, right? But I would say yeah, again, main stakeholders still still very much in that uh, networking organization within the large enterprise space. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. If, uh, if folks want to come, you know, want, want to pick your brain, want to follow up with you, kind of want to engage with the, the network to code team, what are, uh, what are some of the best ways to go about doing that or even just engaging with the Nautobot community and, and kind of learning about these technologies? 
Yeah, from Nautobot, I'll give Nautobot.com as a redirect to the website. It's a great place to kind of get familiar with it. Otherwise, uh, Nautobot has its own GitHub organization as well. Again, everything that, that I talked about today is it's all free and open source. Uh, read the docs are great. Also have a, a newer landing page, uh, docs.nautobot.com. Really just a, an easy way to navigate um, open source open source docs. And I guess the plug for network to code you know, any, any interest in getting help, then, uh, yeah, email is just info at networkcode.com and would be loved, would love to, uh, love to chat. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Jason, uh, it's been, it's been way too long, uh, getting you back on the show. Hopefully we can do this more frequently, but, uh, folks, uh, on behalf of Aaron and myself, want to thank Jason for his time today. Um, a lot of cool stuff that, uh, that he's been working on for, for a long time. Uh, really, really good stuff, especially if you're in this space of, Having to manage networks, having to manage you know security and automation and all the stuff around that to make your your application teams happy. So, uh, Jason, thanks again for the time, folks. Uh, with that, I'm going to wrap it up, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 